When you go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it's hard not to see the name Unser somewhere. Jerry, Bobby, Al, Al Jr., Robbie, and Johnny. The Unser family has an unparalleled legacy at IMS. Between 1968 and 1994, a driver with the last name of Unser won the Indianapolis 500 nine times. And how about this? From 1963 until 2007, that's a span of 44 years, there were only two years without at least one Unser in the lineup for the Indy 500. But the Unser racing legacy doesn't begin at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And while they do have many roots in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the story of the Unser racing family actually begins 1,095 miles away from the Brickyard. Well, 1,095 miles and 14,000 feet straight up in the air. This week on Stagger, we're going to talk about the legendary Unser family's relationship with one of the baddest mountains in the world, Pikes Peak. Turns of loose coming into the front stretch. Tommy changed the entire throttle system last night, the night before a race. But, oh, he can't do that. But we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before. Welcome to Stagger, where we explore motorsports, heroes, legends, and myths. I'm J.D. Smith, along with my brother Derek Smith. We're glad you're listening to this episode. We continue to see some pretty awesome growth from this podcast. You guys are a tremendous group of listeners, so thank you for checking this out. Maybe you're someone who's just binging through these episodes for the first time and you're wondering what this is all about. Well, it's a weekly podcast about motorsports history. We're going to be doing more of these stories. We've already got a lot of suggestions, but we always are looking for new ideas. So if you've got one, hit us up at Stagger Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. And of course, hit that subscribe button. Hitting that subscribe button is the easiest way to make sure you keep getting this podcast every single week. All right, Derek, what comes to mind when I say the name Unser? I think of uh, their success at Indy and the fact that they're from Albuquerque, which is kind of a unique place for racers to come out of. But as far as their success on the track, they're one of the best racing families in, in all of motorsports history in America. Yeah, no, they are. And today what we're going to talk about is a fact that I, I didn't really know until I started looking into this, that the Unser family is extremely tied in to Pike's Peak. Hmm. And more so than I even knew, I knew that the Unser's had raced at Pikes Peak and had won a lot at Pikes Peak, but their history goes back uh, an insane amount. And actually, this is a family that has pretty much been racing up that mountain since cars were invented. So to tell this story, as you mentioned, they're kind of known for being from Albuquerque, but yeah. let's go back to the Unser family tree. And I'm going to start you off in 1872. That is when Lewis and Marie came to the U.S. from Switzerland. Hmm. He was born, Lewis was, uh, Lewis Unser, in 1872. And it appears he and Marie were married in the U.S. by the year of 1895. There is a marriage license in Illinois with that date. Eventually, they settled in Colorado Springs in the shadow of Pikes Peak, which, go figure, they're from Switzerland. They looked Makes around and like, what looks like a place that's kind of similar to Switzerland? <laughs> Pikes Peak probably, I'm guessing, at least somewhat reminded them of home. Lewis became interested in automobile engines and motorcycle engines during this time, and as a result, he began working on cars in his spare time. Lewis and Marie had three sons. They had Lewis Jr., Joe, and Jerry. These three sons took up their father's interest in motorsports, or in motors at least. Uh, in September of 1915, Lewis Jr. was called Louie. He was 20 years old. Uh, Joe was 19, and Jerry was 17. This is 1915. 
They took a motorcycle with a sidecar up Pikes Peak. <laughs> this is before there was a road up Pikes Peak. At the time, it had a small carriage path that they could go up to leading to the top. But I can't oh imagine goodness. what it'd be like to ride on a motorcycle up something like that. I can't imagine riding on a motorcycle on the paved Pikes Peak Road now. Yeah, I was going to say. But in a, in a sidecar going up that thing on probably bumps and ruts yeah. and everything else well rocks it's literally a giant rock with lots of little rocks that are on its face like i mean it's not it's not a safe ride it's not a comfortable ride and there are sheer cliffs on every turn of that road almost so it's pretty wild yeah they were apparently the first humans to drive a motorcycle and sidecar up the mountain from all we can tell that is the the answer kids, Louie Jr., Joe, and Jerry. They're the ones who did this. So according to the Unser Family Museum, the brothers around that time had become so well known for their work with motorcycles that the Colorado Springs police asked them to teach them how to ride motorcycles and how to handle <laughs> motorcycles. So they were getting quite a reputation at that time. Meanwhile, in 1916, that carriage path was uh, widened and I think they modified the actual path of it into an actual road. The man who did that was a man by the name of Spencer Penrose, a wealthy entrepreneur who made his fortune in mining. He loved Pikes Peak and decided that Colorado Springs is where he wanted to live, so he built a proper road up the mountain so that he could go up there and take people up there. And also because I'm sure he wanted to make money off of right. it. He had a, <laughs> he had a hotel and everything. So as soon as he finished the road, the first thing he did was he started promoting the first Pikes Peak hill climb race mm. in 1916. The only race in America older than the Pikes Peak Hill Climb is the Indy 500. Jeez. That is the only race that is older. <laughs> it started in 1911, and Pikes Peak, that hill climb started in 1916. So yeah. the Unsers were going up the side of the mountain on a motorcycle. A year later, they've got a road of some kind wow. and an actual like race happening in cars. So no doubt this interests them a little bit. You've been to Pikes Peak. You've been yeah. to Colorado Springs. You love that area of the country. I've never been out there. So talk about that mountain a little bit and what, what you know about it. Yeah. So I remember very vividly the first time I went to, to Colorado is going and leaving Denver. I went with a, a colleague of mine and we're driving south towards Colorado Springs. I'm looking going, well, that's that big, that big mountain over there, man. I wonder what that's huge. I wonder what Pikes Peak looks like. And you can see this from m like more than a couple you know, like 30, 40 miles away, you can see this big, huge mountain and you keep getting, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you're realizing, oh my gosh, what I've been looking at this whole time, that's Pikes Peak, that huge mountain there. So that's, that's the first impression I got is massive. Like if you've never seen a 14,000 foot mountain, it's on a front range. So basically you're in a valley until you reach Pikes Peak. So you see the full from the floor up to the top of the mountain on a clear day, you see this entire ridge and you can definitely see while that is a massive peak, that's Pikes Peak. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. I've heard it's spectacular. I mean, it's obviously one of the most famous mountains in the US. It's well known. I've always wanted to go see it. It amazes me that people can live near things like that because you and I grew up in the Midwest and are still living in the Midwest where the hills that we see in like Appalachia, we're like, oh man, that's kind of cool. There's some hills here. That is just something different to see out west where 14ers and, you know, you've got a bunch of those around Denver and around Colorado Springs and 
that's just something that we aren't used to. I mean, I remember going to Phoenix and being able to see mountains in the distance and being like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You just see mountains outside of where you live. I, it's just so foreign to me. It's so weird, but I, I think it must be amazing. So to have grown up, I mean, at the foot of these mountains, like the Unser's did, and then to think, you know what I want to do? I want to go right up to the top of that thing. <laughs> I, it, it always the, the people who who discovered Pikes Peak, at least the the European settlers who discovered Pikes Peak, was obviously well known before that. I can't imagine what those guys saw. Yeah. But what do we know about that history? Yeah. So the Utes uh, were the first indigenous tribe to, to live there. They actually called the mountain Tava, which uh, loosely is translated to the sun. As far as the history goes, you had native tribes living there, hunting at its base, ch- chasing elk up the mountain for way before Zebulon Pike. Uh, was the first American explorer to lay eyes on the mountain in 1806, but he actually didn't scale it. There was a young college student named Edwin James was the first American explorer to summit the pike, and he did that in two days back in 1820. Imagine that. You're the guy that actually put this blood, sweat, and tears into climbing the mountain and saying, hey, to this whole entire new nation, look at this mountain. This is amazing. You have the stories to tell about it. And they don't name it. They don't name it James peak they name it pike's peak yeah zebulon pike never climbed it and then edwin james did that i think it was him and a couple other people they just were like right well we're gonna break off from our little party of explorers and we're just gonna climb this thing and again i don't understand people who do that like i don't understand people who now do that driving up there it, it was a clear as clear crystal clear day i could see literally into kansas and i'm not joking so you brought up that it's so high and you it kind of stands out that's because no point in the continental u.s is higher than pike's peak east of its longitude so if you're traveling from the east it would be one of the biggest peaks you can see yeah. from the rockies as you're traveling 14,115 feet above sea level at the summit it is largely composed of pink granite gold found in the region of denver in the 1850s was referred to as pikes peak gold even though gold was not actually discovered there until 1893 yeah. And it inspired a pretty popular song, too, yeah. I believe, didn't it? Oh, yeah. America the Beautiful, if you guys have ever heard that. Do you want me to sing it? No. Okay. God, you don't no. want me to sing it. I, right, you don't cool. need to sing. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Catherine Lee Bates, though, probably sang it very well. She wrote it in 1993 uh, from the summit of the mountain. So you know how sometimes in life you have those mountaintop moments? Mm. She legit had a mountaintop moment and said, I'm going to write a song. So when you sing America, America the, beautiful, the Beautiful, it, a woman in 1893 was at the top of that mountain was like, I'm going to write a song. And then right. we decided to sing it all the time. Yeah. So and that's the, cool. And the first man um, to drive a car was this guy named William Wayne Brown up in 1913. Uh, to drive it up the mountain. To drive it up the mountain. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the first guy to drive a car was what, Henry Ford? I don't know. <laughs> no, it wasn't Henry Ford. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, maybe we need to do an episode on that. Yeah, so we I need can to educate it. you on how so the car get learned around, I guess. That. Yeah, we got to go all the way to the first part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it took him five hours to traverse the 20 miles. And I, I can tell you, like, you say, oh, 20 miles, but it's you're going up pretty much the whole time. You're starting to think at five or 6,000 feet maybe. Yeah. Um, and then you're going up to 14 and it's a lot of switchbacks. The first few miles are really like a, like a little gentle climb up the base of the mountain. But once you get to, you know, the, around 10 or 11,000 feet, there's no more trees. So yeah. once you get to that point, you can see the summit, but it's like you have to go way to the left and then switch back. Lots of switchbacks, like dozens and dozens and dozens of switchbacks and congratulations, you've gained a thousand feet. But yeah, five hours, that's a... Well, and that was on a, there was a carriage trail. Like we talked about that the Unsers went up with their motorcycle. That's what this guy went up in his car, yeah. but that was mostly made for horses and mules who push people up and down the mountain, which imagine being one of those animals. Good Lord. Yeah. That would suck. Especially if my fat ass got okay, there, that well, would not be good at all. The pulling up would be tough enough, but 
Well, I assume to go down, they would be like pulling back, like, but just slowly backing down. They they literally must have gone through so many horses and mules to do that task because I'm sure. I mean, the weight of, I mean, it's so steep on the way down. There's multiple brake checks where they basically say, pull over. We're going to do an air temp on your brakes. And when it's, you know, when, when, I mean, for the day we did that, they didn't have anybody out there, but they were, they politely asked you to check your brakes because you can catch your car on fire. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible thing. So, so that, by the way, the track itself, the, the road you're talking about Mm -hmm. is the track. It's a place. I mean, if you go to Indy and you get to drive your car on the track, that's awesome. There's a lot of history in that. There's not many people that have done that. Yeah, but you yeah. also can't see Chicago from there. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, <laughs> like you can go drive this place and get a great view as well and then also be yeah. on this historic track. So it measures 12.42 miles, which is almost exactly 20 kilometers. It has 156 turns. It climbs 4,700 feet from the start at mile seven mm-hmm. on the Pikes Peak Highway to the finish at 14,115 feet. Yeah. The grade is an average average of 7.2% grade which I think it's like five or 6% gray that you usually see on a freeway where they have the giant signs and the yep. truck runoff. So it's, yep. that's the average you're pulling here. And at some places it's over 10%. So it's, it's a ridiculous tax on man and machine. It used to, this road consist of just gravel. Then it was gravel and paved sections. Do you know why they actually had to pave the track? Because of erosion? Kind of. Yeah. It was the Sierra club and other environmental groups complained that with all this gravel being thrown around, it was displacing so much gravel that it was falling down on other parts of the mountain mm. and messing with the way the mountain erodes and things like that because there's not supposed to be all this gravel on these rocks. They're supposed to, but now they're getting covered in gravel and they're, it was just saying, if we yeah. don't do something, this could this could cause bigger problems down the road, not just with the race, but with regular cars going up and down this thing all the time so they eventually did say you know what good call let's pave this that was all done by 2011 august 2011 is when it was fully paved so 1916 first motor car race up the hill that is the inaugural pikes peak hill climb like we talked about it was organized by that spencer penrose guy who built the road took place august 10th through 12th with ray lentz a 22 year old from washington driving a Romano Demon Special to victory. Ray Romano's car. Ray Romano. (laughs) He built it. He drove that to victory in 20 minutes, 55.6 seconds up the hill. So they went from five hours to 20 minutes in uh, like three years. So that was Mm. was an improvement. The road obviously helped quite a bit with that. Then World War I happened, and the hill climb did not. Again, it did not occur until 1920. So then it got going again and was becoming kind of a popular thing. 1926, that appears to be when the Unsers first began racing in the hill climb in cars. They made enough of a name for themselves that by 1929, they made their first run at the Indy 500. Hmm. They had been pretty successful competing in the hill climb, but none of them had won the overall crown just yet. Still, they had sponsors. They were set to make a run in the Indy 500, and this was going to be a really big deal for them. However, while testing their car for Indy on roads outside of Colorado Springs, Joe Unser lost control of his machine and crashed. He was killed in that accident. The other two brothers abandoned their Indy 500 plans. Neither of them ever attempted to qualify for the Indy 500 again. So Jerry Unser specifically was becoming known as the mechanical genius of the group. So he was the one kind of who decided after that wreck, especially I'm just going to focus on tuning these cars and 
working on building better cars to go up the hill. And just in general, he was a mechanic by trade. So Louis Unser Jr. ended up being the only one of the three brothers who continued on in racing as a driver. Mm. He was the oldest of those three brothers. He was ready to show what he could do. He had been formidable in the first few years of the hill climb, finally broke through with a victory in 1934. Previous to that, a man named Glenn Schultz had won seven of the first 15 events. So someone was going to have to step in to end his streak, and it turned out to be Louis Jr. But Louis went on to be pretty dominant as well. He won the hill climb event, did Louis Unser, in 1934, 1936, 1937, 1938, and 1939. There was no event in 1935, which is the only year he didn't win, so he dominated after 1934. His actual nickname was the Old Man of the Mountain, was what they called Louis Unser. Really? Yeah, because he won the Pikes Peak Hill Climb nine times beginning in the 30s, like I said. He had, he was still winning in the 60s. He still found a way to keep driving and winning. So wow. Louis Unser found himself racing against a guy named Al Rogers. They had some epic battles between 34 and 51, 1951 the only two men in the win the pikes peak hill climb were those two men so either al <laughs> rogers or louis unser won the pikes peak hill climb every year that it was held from 1934 to 1951 it's pretty incredible wow and these cars they were driving it should be noted these at this point they're driving basically indie cars as we've talked about in previous episodes if you listen to yeah. our wilbur shaw episode go back and check that out those cars were known as big cars back in the day but they were driving the same type of cars. They they beefed up the suspensions a little bit. They put different tires on them, but the same cars you see at the Indy 500, that type of car is what would be at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. The racing at that time had to be just insane. I mean, oh. it's a dirt track. They're in giant Indy car style cars, which we've talked about. Those cars at that time were like more, I, I don't know. They look like a propane tank, not like, right. a, <laughs> not like a race car. And that's what they're wheeling around these tight corners going up and down on dirt. It's just, yeah. it's unfathomable they did this. Let's talk about Jerry Unser. As I said, he was a gifted mechanic, Louis Jr.'s brother. Louis Jr. is the guy who's running all these races, but Jerry's the one who's tuning the cars. Uh, apparently, Jerry was also getting busy off the track uh, because he eventually had four children. <laughs> Well, I was just joking. I thought you were going to say he got busy off the track. He no, was no, a mechanic exactly, for the Indy 500. No, da, da, that's, da, da, exactly, that's exactly Ran what his I own meant. team and, and then, oh, he actually was getting busy. He so, was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, Jerry Jerry Unser had four children. Jerry Jr., Louis, uh, another Louis, because there's Louis was the grandfather who came from Switzerland. Then Louis Jr., his son, was Jerry's brother. And then Jerry had a kid that he had apparently named after his brother, Louis. And then there's Louis Hamilton. So, uh, I mean, no. it's... it's now, the other the other two children, you may have heard these names before, Al Unser and Bobby Unser. Those are Jerry Unser's kids. So if mm. you've heard those names, you are probably aware of racing. So uh, Louis Unser, a.k.a. Louis Unser Jr., a.k.a. the old man of the mountain, was the uncle to Al Unser and Bobby Unser. So their uncle was this great Pikes Peak hill climber. Their grandfather was the guy who came from Switzerland and settled at Colorado Springs and his kids basically like wow, th man. they're ingrained like the Unser family that you know now and you think of as IndyCar drivers and you think about you know New Mexico and all that well they are I mean a hundred percent Pikes Peak royalty so as you said earlier aren't they known for being from Albuquerque and mm -hmm. yes they are Jerry Sr. moved the family down there to open a service station but his sons never lost their love for racing or Pikes Peak 
And as soon as they could compete in the race, they began looking for ways to enter. In 1953, Louis Unser, their uncle, the brother of Jerry, won Pikes Peak again. It was his ninth overall title. In 54 and 55, there were two people who were not named Unser who won the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. And then in 1956, Bobby Unser won his first Pikes Peak Hill Uncle Climb. Bobby. So Uncle Bobby came in. So he <laughs> so so there's a passing of the torch here a little bit from Louie to Bobby and Al. Uh, Al Unser was also great on the hill climb. He won it twice, but nobody in the history of this race touched Bobby Unser, not even his uncle. From 1956 to 1968, Bobby Unser won nine Pikes Peak Hill Climbs. Al Unser won the other two. And they weren't just competing against slouches because this is a fact that I blows my mind. From 1946 to 1969, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb was included in the AAA USAC Champ Car points paying situation. So it was, oh my gosh, it was on the IndyCar calendar for lack of a better <laughs> term. Like this was just an event. Now, of course, back then, IndyCar wasn't as formal as now, where you have a set number of teams and a right. set number of drivers, and they go to every race. But it was mostly, you know, these traveling people that went to Indy 500 and went to Milwaukee and went to all these other, you know, tracks. They would pack up yeah. and head out there because they wanted to win the championship. And if you wanted to win the points championship, you had to run the hill climb. 1969, you know who won this thing? Tell me, Bobby. Mario Andretti. Mario Andretti. In an Indy car. In an IndyCar. Yeah, I mean, it was that he won an IndyCar race at Pikes Peak. Not Pikes Peak International Raceway, which is a track that's now defunct and all that it's he he won the actual hill climb you're telling me that in 1969 mario andretti won the pikes peak hill climb and the indy 500 in yeah. one year yeah oh yeah that's wild man yeah he's he's legit dude i mean my, mario andretti good last night uh, you know i think he is <laughs> i think he's one of the best drivers out there i've heard you know he's, he's i've up heard there that. he's up there yeah uh marco's grandfather yep <laughs> That's right. Marco's grandfather. That's what Mario Andretti is most known for. The cars evolved as they did in most open-wheel racing series at the time. They got smaller, they got lighter, they got lower and more powerful. Actually, some of these cars, they they really also... You, you could easily mistake these indie cars. Some of them kind of looked like the dirt cars that, you know, you would see AJ Foyt would run like his dirt car and then he would go run his indie car. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish the two, but most of these were basically champ car, indie car mm -hmm. setups, but sometimes they were more like the dirt cars. Yeah. You said that champ car had this on their calendar as a points paying race. I think this is something that PGA tour and the LPGA tour too, for that matter, that they do better than racing and racing has a unique opportunity. You know, you don't see Rory McIlroy go to every course. But he does go out for the big paying Yeah, for the majors. And, and then sometimes he does go for a FedEx Cup. So I wonder what it would be like if you just had, hey, we're going to have 40 races a year. We're going to have some dirt races. We're going to have, what if you put the Pikesville Hill, Hill Climb on the NASCAR calendar? I'm just sitting there. I, I know I'm big dreaming here. Or the IndyCar would be the series to do this, I think. But you basically have, here's your car. Here's your chance. Yes, we're doing Indy 500. Yes, we're going to Texas. Yes, we're going to Mid-Ohio, the traditional races. But we're going to have a street race in Miami. And, you know, you can show You're up saying not, like throw in a Lewis couple, Hamilton, maybe have like three variable yeah, races say, where say, you just you throw in some tracks you don't always go or, to. You don't or, have to go to them every or year. Or you basically say, like, say Roman Grosjean gets a chance to go race Formula One again. But he's like, hey, I really loved racing the NDGP. I really loved racing. You invite the, the stars of the world to come over and say, like, so you do a dirt race at Eldora. You're going to put Kyle Larson in an IndyCar. You put a street race in Miami right before the F1 Grand Prix. 
on the same course, you're going to get Lewis Hamilton in an, in an IndyCar. I mean, th- these are opportunities where you could have the stars of the world coming out and racing because the race matters, and they could be a champion of a race. Maybe not the points you know, championship, but a, a winner of a race. That's going to be something I think that would be really cool to have, and maybe I'm big dreaming here, but just it's, it's a cool thing in the 60s at least. There was a time in racing where they're like, yeah, we have these traditional standard tracks, but we're also going to throw in a Pikes Peak Hill Climb for the championship. And, and you know, I guess that's what Pikes Peak kind of looks at it as. Like, well, if you want to do that, just go to Pikes Peak. Just just go take the, take a car and go. Right. Like, there's nothing saying you can't. Well, there's nothing saying you but, can't, for Yeah, sure, but, it's, but it doesn't it's, pay a point. It's not it be, paying It would just points. be kind of cool to say, like, yeah, there's a points-paying race. you got these guys tricked out with these hill climb cars. This I think cool. I think the other part of it, though, is that it's so dangerous that – and the cars go so fast now. I have a, immense respect for anyone who would take a car up that track, especially on dirt back in the day. But now that it's paved, now everything is arrow for the yeah. guys who are going to win it. So it's all about if you miss a corner, you have to you're missing it because of arrow. You're missing it because your brakes aren't up to temp. Right. There's not a lot of room for error, man. It's no. I I can't putting a stock car through that. Like I that would be a thing that I could just see NASCAR saying, you know what? It's not worth the risk because if our guys miss a corner in any other track, they wreck and we built cages around them to protect them and all that stuff can't really protect them if they fly no, off a 14,000 foot I guess foot that's true. 20, I, you know, it's probably one of those things I just wish I could build a time machine and go back to the 60s because that's really what I wanted to see is is that like Mario <laughs> well, you know running what good a points-paying race. At, there, you can watch videos of it on YouTube because oh, yeah. there are videos of it, and it's really cool. Some of those old footage, it's all got the newsreel sound to it. It's, it's very neat. Yeah, so the fact the IndyCar drivers, they were all at Pikes Peak all these years that the Unsers were dominating it, that tells you they were driving against some of the best competition in the world. And it didn't matter. They were still winning. In the 1967 race, Louis Unser, the old man of the mountain, said he wanted to race one last time. Now, Louis Unser was 71 years old at this point. Jeez. And joked that he would be the only driver to ever pay their entry fee with a retirement check. Um, <laughs> but, so the Unser's always have had a good sense of humor, too, right? That's pretty cool. Thing was, he didn't end up being approved to run. Go figure. Um, they kind of said... Well, they said, look, man, this is an Indy car race. You're 71 years old, and we're going up a mountain. No. With all due respect, I mean, maybe I'm in the wrong in saying this, but if if anyone's going to risk their life, shouldn't it be the guy who's 71 and not 25? You know what I mean? like, If, if a 71-year-old says, hey, I'm going to go, I want to run this race one more time. I've won it nine times. I've got the skill. I'm going to put together a car and do this one more time. You're saying he's he's lived a he's, he's lived, lived a the, life where he's saying, "Yeah, I, I know what I'm doing and I know the risks is but be- I know it better than most of these guys." Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's true. You know, if I, if if it's my time to go sailing off into Kansas off of the off a of turn 110, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't right. mean to say it like that, but you know, I think it's one of those things where you ask most of these heck, you talk to a sprint car driver. They know the risk in 2021 of right, driving a sprint car. It's not safe. Yeah. Um, so this also right around this time, 1970, the IndyCar series or the you know USAC champ car at the time chose to drop the Pikes Peak Hill Climb from their schedule, probably because they didn't want to let a 71-year-old man get behind the wheel or no, not really. The, <laughs> the real reason was they just kind of said, look, the track is completely dirt. We are trying to go away from dirt racing. They were trying to separate USAC dirt stuff from USAC pavement stuff. They were trying to get IndyCar to become more of a series that more closely mirrored Formula One. 
So Formula One isn't doing hill climbs. Those cars are all aero as well. So this was kind of the end of the time where they said, all right, we can take these cars up Pikes Peak. That's that's kind of why it stopped was they wanted to stick to pavement. They wanted to stick to circuits and not point A to point B type of races. They wanted to have laps. It's a 14 minute race that takes a long time to run. And there's no real good way to shoot it for television. You know, that right. IndyCar is trying to get more popularity by being on television. Mm. Think about that. It's 156 turns. There's no way. I mean, no, no drones back then. Shooting the <laughs> shooting the race. All these footage you ever see of Pikes Peak where it's like, oh, hey, look, we got here's a car making its run. You'll find a lot of them. It's in car footage because the amount of cameras you have to have set up. And it's not exactly a location that's super easy to get cameras up to. No, there's especially no, not in run, the 70s. You can't run cables. You know, yeah. it's a so, little bit harder to do that. Yeah. So they, they decided let's let's not do the Pikes Peak Hill Climb anymore. So that was the end of that era. All right. So let's talk about why Bobby Unser got back in a race car at the Hill Climb. And I have to warn you, this uh, reason, I think, actually kind of sucks because it's kind of based in male chauvinism. It is what it is, right? Bobby Unser is a product. It's a different of, it's a different, different era. Yeah. Um, so here's what happened in 1985. Michelle Mouton. Are you familiar with Michelle Mouton? No. Okay, she's awesome. We're, we're going to do a story about her at some point on this podcast because she was one of the best drivers in the early 80s in the World Rally Championship. Really? Uh, the Audi Quattros, Group B, the crazy car. She drove those. She was a factory driver for Audi what? and finished second in the points. Wow. In an Audi Quattro. Yes. I mean, she. people say she probably should have won the championship in 1982. It was it was neck and neck. She had some mechanical failures, could have won the whole thing. She was such a well-respected driver. In 1984, Audi requested Michelle Mouton run the uh, Pikes Peak Hill Climb event in an Audi specially outfitted for the track. So they made like a separate Audi Quattro that was not the one that they were running in World Rally. She was a French driver, uh, so she wasn't terribly familiar with the course her first year out. She brought along a co-driver. Even despite that, she finished second overall, was lightning quick, and the Audi engineers figured, well, if she didn't have the extra 150-pound person sitting in her car, that's probably the difference between her finishing second and first. Right. But she didn't know the track well enough, and they said, well, let's just have her do her co-driver like they do in World Rally, where you have someone reading you the corners and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So in 1985, she said, screw it. Let's just bring the car I run in World Rally, Mm -hmm. and let me drive it, and I know the course, and I'll do it by myself. And I'll show these boys what's up. She went out in the Audi Quattro from the World Rally Championship, took the overall win, and set a new course record in the process. She won the Pikes Peak Hill Climb in 1985. Wow. Beat the previous record, by the way, by 13 seconds. That record was held by some dude named Al Unser Jr. <laughs> <laughs> so little Al was born into racing lineage, of course. He followed his father and uncle into the family business, took his first crack at the mountain in 1982, and ended up getting the overall win, like I said, in 1983. That's the time that Michelle Mouton had beat. Mm-hmm. Bobby Unser was not having any of that. Uh, Bobby Unser was famously riled up that a woman owned the record on what he viewed as the Unser's Mountain. The idea here is just to convey Bobby Unser, as good of a guy as he seems like he was, and it does seem like, obviously, he was a tremendous race car driver. No one's perfect, and he had some parts of his, you know, psyche, at least, the way he thought about people who were different than him that probably wouldn't fly in today's day and age, and uh, rightfully so. He was mad that Michelle Mouton had taken this record from an Unser. He wanted to get it back, but he knew he had to get into an Audi. Audi wanted Bobby Unser, actually, but not for Pike's Peak. That's the crazy thing. 
they wanted him to drive an Audi 5000 CS Quattro, which is a streetcar that was heavily modified at Talladega because what they wanted to do was run this car over 200 miles an hour and say our Audi Quattro with all wheel drive, that was its big selling point. It can run 200 plus miles an hour on a racetrack, just like a race car, but you can own this car in your driveway and blah, blah, blah. Wow. They had Walter Rohr, legendary Audi rally driver. He was set up to do the test at Talladega. Couldn't get the car over 200 miles an hour. Bobby Unser was called in and basically they said, hey, look, can you help us see what's going on with this? You can drive it. We'll film it. We'll do all this stuff. But we just want to make sure that maybe it's something with the car. Maybe we just need to go back and redesign this thing or we want to see if you can actually get this car over 200. So at 52 years old, Bobby Unser was retired. He was brought in and promptly got the car up to 206 miles an hour. They, they said that Bobby Unser like got to the track and didn't even look at their notes. He just started saying, change this, do that, raise this, lower that, and just told them what to put on the car before he even got in it, before he even took it on a test drive, and then promptly went out in the first section, first session and had it over 190, and a couple laps later, he was over 200, and eventually they got it up to 206. <laughs> so Audi and Porsche were all owned by the same you know company all that time. They didn't want to give Bobby Unser the Audi Quattro for the hill climb. They did not want to put him in the hill climb car. So what he did, because he's smart, Bobby Unser said, all right, well, let me come to Talladega and do your thing. He never signed any paperwork to do work for them. But he knew, he's like, I'm going to go out there and get this car over 200 miles an hour. I'm going to do this before Walter Rohr does it, the Audi factory driver. He did. They got the footage they wanted. They got all this stuff from him talking about how great the car is. And, oh, yeah, this car, it'll do everything you want. And you can, that's the only way I made it around the track, 200 miles an hour, is because of the Quattro, you know, all-wheel drive. <laughs> and then at the end of it, he said, uh, hey, you don't have any legal right to use any of the stuff we did today because I've never signed any contract with you. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, we need that. We want you, uh, what are we going to do? And he said, well... Let me run the Pikes Peak Hill Climb in an Audi Quattro and I'll sign the papers. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how he got the deal to oh, go man. back to the mountain one more time <laughs> in an Audi Quattro at the age of 52. He actually went in 1986 in a Quattro and he torched the field. Uh, Michelle Mouton, by the way, was not there. They mm. wanted to set up, did like the organizers of the race. They wanted Al Unser Jr. Match and Michelle race. Mouton. Let's put the two of them in equal cars and Audi Quattros and let's see who's better. Right. She couldn't make it happen because of the world rally championship. And she was also starting to kind of, you know, she'd done everything in her racing career. She wanted to do. Yeah. So she's like, well, I don't need to go back and prove anything. I've done it. So she wanted to start a family. She was kind of tailoring back her schedule. So she ended up not coming. Alan Sir Jr. Didn't end up going because of IndyCar commitments. And obviously he was at that point, you know, well into his IndyCar career. So Bobby was the one who got this car as well for that reason, because they couldn't get these other two to do it. So he came back and of course he proved his little personal thing about a man being the one who gets the record. Mm. So he took the record back and did it with a bunch of other rear wheel drive cars when he was younger. So of course it's not a shock. He could do it in a four wheel drive car. And he did irony of ironies. Bobby's daughter is Jerry Unser. Uh, she, Jerry with an I, should be clear, because there's Jerry, yeah. his Jerry daughter, but Jerry. his dad, yeah. Um, Jerry Unser, the daughter, set some records in an electric car in 2003. 
So even the non-male Unsers of the family are fast it's and in obviously, the blood, man. Well, and, and Bobby Unser clearly, I'm Get sure, that pink granite in the bloodstream. There are still Unsers who have taken a, a win in the last, uh, well, about 15 years. The last Unser to take an overall win on the mountain was Robbie Unser, who's Bobby Unser's youngest son, in 2004 in a Subaru Impreza WRX. That was Robbie Unser's fourth overall win on the hills. So the Unser's man. That's impressive, man. Just think about that. 1915, there are Unser's going up that mountain. 2004, there's still an Unser on that mountain winning and and going up and and doing well. And I'm pretty sure Robbie Unser, I think he still runs, you know, because there's different classes. They still run other cars, but that was the last overall win that an Unser Mm, had. So yeah, just a a pretty amazing thing to think about that that family has had so much to do mm. with that mountain. You think about them being more from New Mexico and Albuquerque, but Pikes Peak is clearly yeah. as much of the Unser's legacy as anything. A interesting fact about Pikes Peak, if you ever drive up there, you know there is a donut that they make up there that if you bring it down to sea level, it literally like shrinks. I've heard about that because yeah. it's the, the yeah because yeah, the, the elevation. So they air pressure. I don't yeah. know if it's something with the air pressure itself. If there's a special kind of yeast they use to make it be an, well, a yeah. donut up there. But yeah, it's like a thing. Like so, you drive up the mountain, you get out, you look around, you catch your breath because most people don't have the mountain lungs yet. And then you're like, okay, I need to go inside. So you go inside, you get a drink, and you get a sack of hot donuts that they make fresh up there. And then yeah, I left a few in the bag, took them down the to the base of the mountain and they were all shriveled up <laughs> it's wild. crazy that is such a crazy thing yeah and it, it shows the there's nothing more americana i think than driving and that's why i love talking about these stories is that this is very much like a part of the fabric of our country is that we get a chance to talk about what it means to take a road trip and some people like you said look up at a mountain and go yeah i don't want to do that and some people are like man i want to take this car and do whatever i can i want to take it from maine to san diego and see everything in between in a month and that's the beautiful thing about it is that we are a driving country and it's fun to enjoy and hear these stories and dream. I'm a big dreamer. I think you are a big dreamer as well, too. And so if you if you're listening to this, maybe while you're driving, probably. Oh, well, I was just going to say, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you are planning a trip to go to Pike Speak at some point, what better way to like keep this podcast handy and listen to it when you get to the top? And in fact, if you do that. Send us a picture of you at the top of Pike's Peak and uh, tweet at us at Stagger Podcast. We'd love to see if any of our listeners end up on Pike's Peak listening to a story about the answers. I think that'd be pretty cool. When we come back, we're going to talk to someone whose family is also pretty important to Pike's Peak and who has traveled up the mountain himself. That's coming up next on Stagger. And actually, Bobby Unser was afraid of heights. So <laughs> they had put him on some lift thing and taken it up in the air, you know, and it's, and he was really having trouble with it. Pretty amazing. Afraid of, afraid of falling from probably 20 right. or 30 feet. But right, 20 or 30, right, yeah, yeah. Going up a 14,000 uh-huh. foot mountain. No, 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 <laughs> no problem. That voice you hear is Don Sanborn. He's the president of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Historical Association and is one of the members of one of the families that makes the Pikes Peak Hill Climb go every year. Well, a few. My, <laughs> yeah. It's not unusual. I mean, we're not the only family that's like that. You know, it's a, there are lots of families who have uh, either been officials over through, through multiple generations or, or drivers, you know, again, like the Unsers or the Bosch Holtz. 
Dahlenbach. I mean, we've got a whole lots of lots of Donner. <clears throat> there are lots lots of group families like that. The love for racing in the Sanborn family goes back quite a ways. Don's father Frank and his uncle Nick were two guys who first started racing back in 1956. They built a car specifically for the hill climb. But there was just one problem. They were too young to drive. At the time, you had to be 21 years old to, to drive the, the race. So, so they hired a driver to come drive their race car for them. And then, of course, after that, they, they started racing. And usually it was, oh, my dad was really the mechanic. So he would build two race cars and they'd both race. Uh, with time, Uncle Nick was more successful and they were, and it was a lot of work to drive and uh, build the cars. So they, they split duties and dad, again, usually built two cars and Uncle Nick would race one and they'd, they, they gave a number of drive, local drivers their starts as race car drivers on Pikes Peak. Uncle Nick won the race five times, the stock car division five times. They both were officials at one point or another, like chief steward and, and then Uncle Nick became the CEO of the race. I went off to college when I came back, uh, back to town. Uh, I kind of, Uncle Nick kind of sucked me back into the race uh, as time, doing timing. And I was at one point timing director. I was on the board of directors for a few years. I've done a number of things. And then I, I raced a stock car and put together an electric electric car, uh, team with uh, Jerry Unser as the driver. And uh, in, she set a record in 2003. That's right. The Unser family and the Sanborn family have a connection. Plenty of them, in fact. You can't really do the Pikes Peak Hill Climb without coming across a Sanborn. I should mention my cousin, Lisa Haight. She, uh, she was Uncle Nick's, Uncle Nick's oldest daughter, and she's been working for the Hill Climb the last few years, and she's uh, considered the, the, the Hill Climb historian as well. The race director, Randy Rule, is married to Lisa's sister, Linda. Well, and Lisa's husband owned a car for a while, a, an open-wheel car, and, and had, had drivers drive for him. So uh, the family's, you know, uh, in one way or another has been involved in, uh, well, a lot of different ways. It really is unique, and it's fun, you know, it's, it's fun to be on Pikes Peak. I often say it's a little bit like summer camp. You know, we uh, people all go off, do, the, do their own thing during the year, and they come back together <laughs> for this one week, you know, in, in, uh, in the summer uh, to be on Pikes Peak, get to see each other again, and uh, either put, help put on the event or compete in it. And it shouldn't come as much of a surprise that Don Sanborn has carried on the family legacy by competing in the Pikes Peak Hill Climb once. But it was a good run. Uh, rookie of the year. Um, I would have, I, uh, well, I wanted to do more than one year, but my wife hated it. <laughs> and there, there is always a battle, you know, in some cases, uh, spouses, do they do they want, really want you to drive or not, you know, and uh, would you want to be happily married or do you, would you prefer to race? <laughs> and I I've ended up voting for being happily married, but uh, yeah. After reading so much and learning so much for this episode about Pike's Peak and this hill climb, the prospect of talking to someone who'd actually been up the mountain in a race car was fascinating to me. Of course, what I wanted to know is what is it like when you get to the finish line, the literal mountaintop, for this accomplishment well that was great yeah <laughs> it was uh, yeah it's a great feeling to to have done what you wanted to do survived and uh, ready to go do it again wishing you could do it right away again you know for what it's worth i don't know 
<laughs> it's hard to get in the mind of someone who would want to race up Pikes Peak, but that's what makes these drivers special. There are a couple turns, especially at like Olympic Corner right before the top. If you went off that, you'd probably go down about 2,000 feet, you know. And so there are there are a couple spots where you're like, I know I don't want to go off the road there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you're driving, you're concentrating on the road and, and what you're doing, and it, it really doesn't come into your head at all. We have a, a parade of champions at the end of the race, so the, the fans stay in place and the car, the race cars all drive down the mountain. And then, and then as we go past the fans, we, you know, high five the crowd and stuff. And, uh, and that's just, that was, that's really a fun thing, fun for fans and for drivers. Of course, there weren't any fans cheering on Louie, Joe and Jerry Unser as they headed up the mountain in 1915. Well, they took a motorcycle and a sidecar up the mountain. So they were the, they were the first to get a sidecar to the top of the mountain. They went up while the road was being constructed. It was almost done. Penrose was working on it. Of course, there was a carriage road there before, but Penrose was replacing it with an auto road that you could actually, that cars would, was, you know, would work for cars. When they got up to the, near the top, the road wasn't finished, so they, they went up the railroad, up the cog tracks to the, very, to, to the top. And of course, I think that last bit, they pretty much had to push their stuff up the, up the tracks, you know, because it it's real steep. And then when they started down, immediately the brakes failed on the sidecar. <laughs> And they, and they were out of control, yeah, yelling. And I think one of them that was on the motorcycle jumped off and grabbed them as they went by, and they were able to get the get the thing stopped, you know. But as you can imagine, young men they uh, probably more more concerned about saving the sidecar than themselves, you know. <laughs> and Louis Unser was the one who ended up making quite a dent in the record books at Pikes Peak. The locals, of course, just call him Uncle Louis. Much like many years later, Indianapolis 500 fans would refer to Bobby Unser as simply Uncle Bobby. Yeah, he was. He would definitely have a big impact on it in those early years. He set six records in his career, six overall records. He actually brought the time down, I guess, 9%, a little over 9% um, over his career. He switched from open wheel to stock cars later in life, but uh, he was even racing when he was, I think, after well, after 65 at the time, I don't now. I don't like to think that sixty-five is old, but uh, <laughs> at the time, running, you know, in his late sixties, people thought he was really old, still racing, you know. And despite Uncle Louie's success, Bobby Unser still had to carve out a name for himself when he first started going up the hill. When he started at Pikes Peak, of course, he was you know, no name driver really. And in fact, the first year they came, they had, he had, he drove tour cars on Pikes Peak to make money so he could afford to buy fuel for his race car. Wow. So that's, you know, give you an idea what it was like as a you know young man. But he he set up a little track next to their shop in Albuquerque and and his his whole goal was just to go fast, you know, and, and really fast on Pikes Peak. You know, that's what he dreamt about. So he spent a lot of time driving his race car around and around and around trying to figure out how to make it go faster. Did and and ended up doing a lot of stuff with tires and kind of he had done some different things with tires to get more traction. And then he, he just, he called up Goodyear and asked to talk to the head engineer. And, and of course they had no, they had no idea who he was at the time. You know, he didn't, he wasn't an Indy driver yet or anything else, but he just started asking the guy, could you do this with a tire? Could you do that? Could you do this? Could you do that? You know, the guy said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do all those things. And 
they ended up sending him some samples. And, and anyway, the whole thing, it became a, a really strong relationship between Bobby and Goodyear. And they made, they ended up creating something called the Goodyear Pikes Peak Special a tire that then became the, real, the go-to tire for everybody on the mountain for years. If you want to find out more about the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, you can obviously check out their website, ppihc.org. You can also check into the Broadmoor, the hotel that was founded by Spencer Penrose, the man who built the road up to Pikes Peak. At the Penrose Heritage Museum just across the way from the Broadmoor, you can actually now see the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Experience, where they keep a bunch of old race cars, memorabilia from the race, and even some media guides. And you might want to do that soon because next year is the 100th running of the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. So make your plans and get there soon. If you do end up going to this or any of the other historic places that we've talked about on our podcast, we'd love to see pictures of it. You can tweet them to us at Stagger Podcast. We're also on Instagram at the same handle. Till next week, thanks for listening. 